And so the Lord says, be on watch for what's going on. And so we have to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The lie of the enemy says, I can't make it. God says, you can make it. The lie of the enemy says, I'll be defeated. God says, you already won. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers. He's saying there are things in the air that we're going to have to wrestle against, and we need to believe that that's the truth. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason explores spiritual warfare and the pulling down of strongholds in our life. What is it? How do we recognize it? And how do we go about using it? I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. It's a subject that I don't deal with very often. Uh, I'm, I will eventually get to the demonic aspect of it, but that's not where I want to go today. I want to talk about the pulling down of strongholds. And so when we talk about strongholds, I want to define what that is, what the goal is, and how we go about it. Uh, you know, I, I asked the question last week, why did the Lord have me review the foundational themes of our church? And I, I told you that... Those were the four mandates that the Lord had given us, that we needed to understand that because our destiny is birthed out of that, our identity in Christ, we find the expression of that in those things, and we become what He told us to become. And so part of the weapons of our warfare are doing what God told us to do. And so He says, be a house of prayer, be a hospital, a house of compassion, be a safe place for the prophetic to grow, a house of prophecy, and be a house of worship unashamedly lifting up the name of Jesus. How many of you know when we do those things, we beat on the enemy's head? Psalm says with every stroke of the drum. Can you imagine? Every time you beat the drum, you're beating on the enemy's head. Every time you stomp your foot, you're stomping on the enemy's head. Every time you clap your hands, you're doing it around the enemy's head. And so worship then has, a, has a, an amazing place in what we're doing. And we're called to release those things uh, in power and in authority. And so that's where we're called to. Are we missing a, a teacher? Okay. Amen. So that's where I want to talk about. Now when we talk about spiritual warfare, too many Christians either believe that we're not in a war, or they believe that the conflict is exaggerated and, and it's used to take advantage of gullible people. But God clearly tells us that we are in a war. And so when we enter in and people enter into the, into the place of Jesus and they say yes to Jesus, they have to understand there's a promised land but there's a battle that ensues as well. You see when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan to enter into the promised land, they, it wasn't just all uh, wine and roses. As a matter of fact, the same giants that were there when the first spies went in were still there when the second group went in. They didn't just die out and God made it easy. And so they had to go to war and they had to go to battle. If we're going to accomplish anything in the kingdom, we're going to have to go to war and understand who we are in that warfare. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual battle. The devil seeks to devour us. The world seeks to engulf us and our old sinful nature seeks to enslave us. Let me read that to you one more time. The devil seeks to devour you. Turn to your devil. Turn to your neighbor and say, bad devil. The world seeks to engulf you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, bad world. And finally he says that 
And finally I said, our old sinful nature seeks to enslave us. Bad self. <laughs> the only, only good place for self is the cross. Okay? And so that's the battle that's going on. How many of you can see that? How many of you understand that's what happened? The, the devil's trying to devour us, the world's trying to, to engulf us, and our sinful nature's trying, trying to enslave us. He's trying to grab hold of us any way he possibly can. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be sober minded. Turn to your neighbor and say, Sober minded. That I means don't get drunk. Let me go on. Be watchful. Mm. You know, there's a mandate there, isn't there? He tells us to be watchful. If you've ever been with anybody that's in law enforcement, it's really strange to watch how they operate. They've been in it, they, they've been in it for a little while. They are, they are on guard. I don't care whether they're out uh, eating dinner, I don't care if they're at a movie, they're on guard and they're watching what's going on around them. And so the Lord says, be on watch for what's going on. And so we have to be uh, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He said, just resist him. Don't allow him to come in and take over. He's trying to devour us. Now I gotta, you got to get a picture of this. You've got to get a whole picture of what the enemy's trying to do. A roaring lion that's described here is one that will take and he will dig a hole. He'll dig a big old hole. You know it's the lionesses that hunt. Do you, do you do know that, don't you? It's not the lion, it's the lionesses. And so they dig a big hole. And they stick their head in that hole and they roar. And when they roar, what happens is those animals that are frightened take off running. Well, all the way around that lion are lionesses. And so when they take off running, the lionesses trap them and kill them. And they bring them back to the lion so that he can enjoy the feast. And so the, the enemy is roaring. And the question is, will you listen to him or will you believe God? See, we see things and we start listening to the roar of the lion. We walk through things and we listen to the roar of the lion. You know, don't raise your hands, but how many of you think alcohol and drugs are more powerful than our God? Mm -hmm. Can I tell you there are people that when they pray they believe that? Because they can't see their loved ones delivered from the power and the influence of those things. And so they believe the lies of the enemy. God is more powerful than anything on the planet. And it's only when we succumb to the lies and we believe the lies that we become enslaved by what the enemy would try to have us do. And so we want to move from that place into the place where we're free. Spiritual warfare is resisting, overcoming, and defeating. Say this with me. Resisting, overcoming, and defeating the enemy's lies. Man, how many of you know you've got to overcome them? How many of you realize you believe some of the lies of the enemy? Woo! Yeah, we do. We do. Not only do we believe it, we confess it. And when we confess the lies of the enemy, we put faith in what the enemy has said. 
When we confess the Word of God, we're saying we believe what the Word of God said. And so there is never a time in your life where you ought to confess the lies of the enemy. Am I making sense to you? We need to confess the truth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what we feel. My belt is, is... one notch shorter right now. My scale said I didn't lose any weight. I want you to know the scale is a liar. I'm going to put that sucker to death when I get home too. Amen? You're going to buy me a new set, one that knows what it's right. And so we want to be a people that, that understand overcoming and defeating the enemy. His lies come in the form of deception, temptation, and accusation. And so he's there. He comes to tempt you. He comes to accuse you. He comes to deceive you. Whew. Anybody in here ever been deceived? I have. Let me tell you what, if you've ever judged anybody or gossiped about anybody, you have been deceived. Why? Because you're playing the enemy's game. If you play the what if game, anybody ever played the what if game? What if, what, what if I don't have enough money? What if I don't? What if I can't pay my bills? What if? What if? What if my children? What if? What if? What if? What if? Turn to your neighbor and say, "What if?" See, and we play that what if game, and the devil just starts tormenting us with the what if game, doesn't he? And what if becomes stronger than what is. And what is, is God's Word. And that's the truth of everything that we have to enter into. Is what God has said, not what the enemy has said. There is no what if. Well, what if you do go broke? Well, praise God, hallelujah, God still sits on the throne. You know, so I, heard, so I heard somebody the other day say that, uh, that when, when the government shut down, and I'm not judging anybody, I'm just going to tell you what happened. When the government shut down, they said there were people who said they couldn't live for 30 days without a paycheck. Now, my daddy told me we could live 30 days if we never, ever, ever had a paycheck. What happened to us one time, let me just tell you, what happened to us is we lost a company, so we decided we'd start a company. Brick and Daddy and I, actually Daddy, Brick and I, let me put it in the right order. And we started a company, and we hired a lady. Well, Eddie, you had to have money to hire. No, we didn't either. We couldn't pay her. And we told her up front we couldn't pay her. She said, well, i got to have some tires so I can come to work. So we went and talked to Rudy Kelly, and Rudy Kelly said, said, I'll give you 30 days to pay for these tires. I'll put them on there for her. And so she came to work. Now understand that we had to have a paycheck in two weeks. Daddy told me, he said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He said, you'll have a paycheck in two weeks. You know what happened? In two weeks we had a paycheck. We were able to pay our, our secretary. We were able to pay our call person. And we didn't miss any more paychecks. Amen? God took care of us. My, that's what my daddy taught me. Well, if my her earthly daddy says I, it's, everything is okay, and my heavenly daddy says everything is okay, you know what? Everything is okay. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, it's okay. God's got me. God has got me. Woo! I love it. I never will forget my brother was in business and uh, Daddy had retired, and things were going good. I mean, they were going real good. And then all of a sudden, the, the NCUA came in and said, you can't do that anymore. Do you know what happens when the NCUA comes in and says, you can't do that anymore? You're out of business. They shut them down just like that. Now, they made a major mistake, and 15 years later, they corrected. How many of you know most people can't live 15 years before they go back to work? 
And so when my brother went, my, when my brother lost his his job and things went wrong and, and he lost his business, he came to daddy and he said, Daddy, I, I gotta make a paycheck. And daddy said, Well, you're gonna make a paycheck. He said, Well, I don't know how. He said, Well, you're gonna get a job, son. That's pretty easy. You know how he could say that confidently? Because he knew the God he served, and he knew that God could provide a, bit, a, a job for my brother. And he knew that God would provide. He said, but Daddy, you don't understand. I don't have a car. Daddy said, that's not a problem. You'll get a job that gives you a car. And so Brick goes up, and he begins to talk to one of the car dealerships. And as he begins to talk to them, they like who he is, and they say, okay, we'll hire you. And he said, well, i got to have a car. They said, no, we don't give cars out. Not until you've been here at least 30 days. Brooks said, well, I can't work for you then because i got to have a car. Man kind of shook his head and he said, go next door and get you a car. He hated the job. I'm just going to tell you straight up, he hated the job. But he was the leading truck salesman in the entire southeast two years running, and he made enough money to provide for his family and take care of his children and do everything God wanted him to do until God moved him into the business that he wanted to be in. Amen. Come on now, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. The lie of the enemy says, I can't make it. God says, you can make it. The lie of the enemy says, I'll be defeated. God says, you've already won. I gave Rodney a word one time. I don't give words like this in public anymore. I looked at Rodney, I said, Rodney, things are going good right now, but you're going to be like a man that's pulled through a knot hole before this is over. Everything that you look to is going to fall apart. Boy, isn't that an encouraging word? And the only problem was it happened, didn't it, Rodney? And Rodney had to, had, to, had, had to seek the Lord in order to be taken care of. Did the Lord take care of you, Rodney? Wait, no, no, you died, didn't you? You died to self, amen. <laughs> he didn't die. How many meals did you miss, Rodney? Never missed a meal. How many boats did you have given to you, Rodney? Boats? Two boats. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What's the lie of the enemy? I can't make it. I can't do this. I can't. Anytime you hear that, you got to grab hold of what God is saying. By faith, I can. By faith, I can say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. I am not going to believe the lies of the enemy. You see, he lies to me. Then he accuses me. You know, one of the things that happens to me in, in counseling a whole lot, I do a lot of counseling more with women than men because men have got just too much pride. I'm just going to be straight up with you. And so they don't want to come down and sit and act like they got a problem they can't take care of. And so they'll just send their wife and they, they'll say, you know, that's her problem, it's not mine. Uh, which means you believe the lie of the enemy, number one. Number two, the pride will, will, will make you fall. And so anyway, now that I'm through condemning you, let me go on to the women. <laughs> I know because I'm one of them and I do that crud myself. Amen. Pride just rises up and God has to knock it down all the time. I hate that. I hate that. But you know one of the, one of the kind of universal things that happens when women come in is women feel like that they are, let me just use this word, I don't know the full extent, but they, they, they kind of think they're stupid. And they've got to prove that they are smart. Because if they're, if they're not smart, then they're not worthy. And, and so they, they deal with this insecurity. And stupid may be too, too strong a word, but there's an inferiority that comes in that. 
And, and the woman takes on that inferiority, and that inferiority begins to attack her self-worth and her value. And most of the time, the husband takes advantage of that insecurity. That's terrible, but that's just the truth. And husbands, let me tell you what. Let me tell you the other side of that thing that Herman taught on the other day where he said that wives, you need to submit to your husbands. He told husbands, he said, you better love her like Christ loved the church. When Christ loved the church, you know what he began to do for her? Number one, he died for her. Number two, he began to call her into her identity. If you're not calling your wife into her identity, something's wrong with the marriage. Because you're not Christ-like. Aren't you glad you came today? Amen. You have to call her into it. God says He's calling us into our identity. Jesus is the one that washes us with the Word. He begins to uproot all the lies of the enemy. And he's, He uproots the lies of the enemy. We begin to be built up in Jesus Christ and we begin to understand when the enemy comes in and tells us we're worthless, we say, uh-uh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the man, Jesus, hung on a cross and shed His blood because He loved me so much. You tell me I'm not worth something. How many times has a man died for you? Men and women, we need to grab hold of this thing. And so one of the things that happens is the deception, the accuser of the brethren. Ah, you know you can't get up there and talk in front of people. You know you can't say a word in front of people. Why? Because people are going to judge you and you're not going to sound right. And they're going, to be all, they're going to be all over you because you just can't do it. So when you get a word, you just sit on that word. You thief. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Why am I a thief? Because the Bible says that if you've got a prophetic word and you share it with the body, the whole body profits. And so if you're going to steal my profit, listen, you're nothing but a thief. See, you're so consumed with what people are going to think about you, which is what the enemy wants because he's given you a word he wants to deliver to the people because he wants the people enriched. He wants the people brought up. He wants the people encouraged. He wants the people to break out of the strongholds, and you're going to sit on God's word? Come on now. Am I making sense to you? Listen, God's called us into that place. He's don't sit on the word. People come to me all the time and say, I had a word. And they get all upset and they want to beat themselves up. Stop it! Quit beating yourself up. Just do it the next time. If you didn't do it, you didn't do it. God ain't sitting there with a whip over your head and beating you to death with it. He's saying, I'm encouraging you. My wife said last Sunday, said it had been the first time in a long time, said she just began to shake. And then she, she started to speak out, and Herman thought demons were coming out. He didn't know what was happening. Isn't that what you said? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that's what he said. Maybe it was me that thought demons were coming. No, I'm just teasing. 
And so he calls us into this place, 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is completed. Whoo! I want to start that in reverse. Can I start that in reverse? God gives you a provision and then He gives you a promise. Too many times we miss the promise because we're not sure of what God is saying. Look what He said. Christ, being to, to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Who's going to do the punishing? Jesus said, when your heart lines up with my heart, I will kick the devil from here to kingdom come. But if you're wishy-washy, you're not sure, and you're disobedient, then you're going to continue to wrestle. He's not going to have victory over you, but you're going to continue to wrestle until your obedience, until your submission to the will of God becomes 100%. Then the enemy will, will be destroyed on your behalf. The Bible says soon he will put Satan under your foot. That's what he tells us. But he says to us, he says, I don't want you to use spiritual. He says, I don't want you to be there. He says, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to come into obedience. Is he saying you have to come into perfection? Nope. That's not what he talked about, is it? Go back and we begin to look at what he talked about. He says, he said, we destroy, he said, well, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divine to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. He said, we're going to destroy every argument that comes against God. You know where those arguments come? Right here. Let me give you one of them my mother had. Are y'all all right with this? Y'all look like you're going to sleep on me. Amen. Every argument, my mother. She struggled. One day she'd be solid on her salvation, and the next day she would question whether she was saved or not. Then she'd be solid on her salvation, then she'd question. There's this argument that's going on inside of her head, these voices that are crying out, am I right or am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Daddy called me and said, will you go sit with Mama? I said, yeah, I'd be glad to go to the hospital and sit with Mama. I got there, and my Mama was in torment. And she just kept holding my hand and she kept saying, Eddie, I don't know the way. I don't know the way. She's saying, really, what she's saying is, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. I turned around, had to go out of the room to go to the restroom, and I came back. She got a smile on her face from ear to ear. She pats me on the hand and said, Eddie, it's okay. I know the way. And everything is okay. She never doubted again. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit met her at the place of doubt? And when He met her at the place of doubt, He reassured her that she belonged to Him. I want you to know our God will meet you at the place of your, of your uh, unbelief if you just come to Him and submit yourself to Him and say, God, help my unbelief. Help me understand what's going on. Help me believe the lies of the enemy. I mean, help me believe the truth of the Word and, de and defeat the lies of the enemy. I've already believed the lies of the enemy. You fat, you're going to be fat all your life. No, I'm not. When I die and get put in the ground, I'm going to bone. 
Y'all dig me up? You say, look at that bony man. I don't know too much about him. You know something? You don't have the right to tell me what I'm going to be. So why do I want to listen to you? Why do I want to hear what you have to say when I've got God telling me that I'm his, that he is, that, that I am beautiful, that I am lovely, that he loves me? The enemy comes in and he lies to you. He just continually lies to you. The goal of this warfare is to set ourselves and others free from the lies of the enemy. Another part of warfare is the church's resistance against the world's systems. Ephesians, and all this is is the introduction. All right, I haven't gotten into the real teachings yet, but I'm in the introductions. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers, world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we begin to see what he says. He said, we're in a wrestling match. Any of y'all ever been in a wrestling match? I used to go watch Herman and, and, and Josh, and they would wrestle, uh, and even David, they would wrestle at the high school level. And they had, a, they had a referee. How many of you know we have a referee over our wrestling matches? His name is Jesus. And he won't let the enemy go but so far. But it's a wrestling match. And the first one I went to with high schoolers, it was like the 189-pound class. These are two giants of young men, and they are so strong, and they got muscles popping out their arms and the veins of their neck. And, I mean, they get in there. And all they're going to do is wrestle for six minutes, three two-minute periods. And so I watched this thing, and these guys, man, they tug on each other. And to the, un to the uneducated uh, observer, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot going on. In a few minutes, one of them gets tripped, one of them falls down. The next thing you know, they're all over each other. This goes on for six minutes with two breaks in between. And I'm thinking, six minutes? I look over there, and there are two 17 years old that are laid out on the mat, totally exhausted because they have put every bit of the strength they had into that six minute bout. Can I ask you this? How many times have you wrestled against the devil and you've at least it lasted six minutes? Most of us don't last that long. Most of us take the enemy at his word, and God is saying, Stop believing the lies of the enemy. Abortion can never be stopped in the United States of America. Says who? You see, when we have to resist the things of the world, when the government of the world starts calling things that are evil good and good evil, we have to be the voice of resistance. The church has to be in warfare and said, I will not receive what my government has placed on me. That is not who I am. That is not who I'll be. I am in a position of God. I will resist in worship. I will resist in prayer. I will resist in intercession. I will resist in the way I conduct my life. I will not bow. Come on. Can I tell you, when they took prayer out of the schools, we bowed. It's time to quit bowing and stand up. Be who God called us to be. Act like God called us to act. He told Moses, Moses had got a rod in his hand, and he's got an army behind him about to destroy him. And he's crying, and he's saying, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And God says, my terms, Moses, I ain't going to do nothing. What are you going to do? 
You hold the rod of authority. When are you going to raise it up, son? And he raises his rod, and the Red Sea begins to part. If Moses doesn't walk in his authority, the entire nation of Israel is destroyed by Egypt right then and right there. When are you going to start walking in your authority? When are you going to quit believing the lines of the end? Well, I'm just one person. I have so many people that come in and say, well, I'm nothing. Well, I don't talk to nothings. If God, if God sent you to talk to me, He sent you there for a reason. I got something for you probably, and I know you got something for me. I went to Haiti one time, and I thought, man, gosh, I'm going to have this great teaching that's going to go on. God's going to set me up. I was young. Man, all this good stuff's going to happen. I almost had a, had a revolt, and the government almost got called in because I kept talking about in terms of the military. And, and uh, um, Gary came to me and said, Eddie, you can't talk like that. I had to change some of that stuff. I said, why? He said, because the government will come against you if you do that because they think you're trying to raise up a military coup. I said, wow, that's unreal. Just through words, Gary? He said, words are powerful here, Eddie. Words are powerful. I got through with my trip to Haiti, and I want you to know, I'm not sure they learned anything, but this boy learned a volumes of stuff from the Holy Spirit. I'll just share one with you. How's my time doing? I'll just share one with you. I get ready to go down to Haiti. I've told this story many times. And I got a guy on my board that serves in uh, Army Intelligence. I know it's an oxymoron, but anyway, he serves in Army Intelligence. And they say, Eddie, I don't know whether you ought to go to Haiti or not. I said, why? He said, because of the disruption. And you got to know Gary says, I want you to know what you're getting into. And he takes and he shows me these videos. And in these videos, they are rioting with machetes. And so I'm going, oh, my gosh. And Nick comes back to me and he says, son, if you just stay right around uh, Port-au-Prince, you'll be okay, but don't, don't go anywhere else. I said, okay. I said, I can do that. And so then we, we get in the airplane, and I'm tired because we hadn't had any sleep. I got on the airplane flying down there, and I'm sitting by this lady, and she begins to tell me about this cab driver that has taken her brother, taking him up in the woods, beating him half to death. And when he got beat half to death, put him back in, and then had him arrested for cocaine smuggling. And I said, well, was he smuggling cocaine? He, she said, shoot, no. But said the, the uh, police were suspicious about the cab driver, and so he wanted a patsy, so it became the patsy. So now I'm really excited about what's going on. We get off the airplane. We're standing in line to go through customs. And the guy behind me, he grabs me. I ain't said a word. Now, now Gary, he's putting Katie down pretty bad at the point in time. He, I ain't said a word. I'm just standing in line. He grabs me by the shoulder. He says, that's what's wrong with America, people like you. I'm going, what did I do? And all the time I'm thinking, we go outside, we get on the, we get a, a, a cab driver, we get in there, he and Gary goes to fussing. Back and forth. I don't understand a word, it's in Creole. And all I can think is, oh my God, we fixing to be carried off somewhere and beat to death. We, we finally get it all straightened out. We drive down to the pastor's house we're supposed to be meeting, and all the electricity goes out. And we're sitting in the, the, the dark, and you hear voodoo drums beating all around you. Can I tell you, I was scared. Don't judge me too harshly. I was scared. Man, I got people everywhere telling me horror stories. And so 
Gary's telling me how great Haiti is. We get, we get through preaching the first night. That was the first night we were there. But the second night we get through preaching and we hear somebody screaming and the, the, the pastor and elders of the church grab us and they shove us in this car and they say, man, don't roll your windows down. Go straight where you go. And I'm thinking, oh my God, they really are going to kill us. We get to the place and there's a gate closed and, and Gary said, don't get out. Wait till they come. He said, and keep looking. Watch around you. I'm going, watch. I ain't got nothing to fight with. What are you talking about? Now, you got to know, most Haitian men are about as big as Gary. If I were to sit on them, that sucker couldn't get up for six or eight hours, you know. But and, and I look, and there's razor wire all the way across the top of these walls that are about 10 feet tall. There's razor wire, and then there's broken bottles. That is the neatest thing you ever saw, these jagged broken bottles that are sitting on top. And I go, wow, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So the next day I get up and I'm going and Gary says, if anybody comes shake your hand left-handed, said, be careful because they're probably going to put some kind of powder on you. And sure enough, I don't even get in the door and somebody sticks out their left hand and Gary knocks it away. And I'm thinking, Gary, you ain't doing very much to make me feel very good about this country. And so we preach and we teach. I go home that night and I said, God, is this where I'm going to die? And I said, y'all think it's funny. It wasn't too funny to me. It was real to me. I mean, I'd never been in places where you walk into the 7-Eleven and they got machetes and shotguns. They got AK-47s. And, and when they walk down the road, every one of them almost has a machete in their hand. And I'm going... Y'all just need to get me out there. And Gary said, he said, Eddie, he said, don't worry about it. He said, man, there are a lot of white people in Haiti. Let me tell you what, there ain't no white people to 6'1", 300 pounds in Haiti. And so I, I stood out like a sore thumb, and trust me, all of them had something to say about it too. So I'm asking God, God, is this where I'm going to die? And he asked me a strange question. He said, are you ready to die? And me and God, we're pretty straight with each other. I said, no, not today. He said, son, didn't I tell you if I was going to take your life, I'd give you the power to lay it down? I said, yes, you did. He said, then will you be ready to die if I tell you to? So you got it, God. If you'll give me the grace, I'll die right here in Haiti preaching your word. I want you to know all the fear, all the torment, all the lies of the enemy all of a sudden they lifted when I settled God's love and word in my heart. And then for the next four days, this boy had a blast. I had a blast. Man, we, we, we cast out demons. We saw a blind eye open up. We saw a deaf ear open up. Man, we saw kids. I loved it. The little kids, I love them. Oh, my gosh. And they all wanted to come sit by me. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had on short sleeves because it was hot down there. And they would take and they'd rub my hand, rub my arm, and rub my arm, and rub my arm. And, and uh, the pastor said, "Stop doing that." I said, "I don't care, but but tell me what's going on." They said they want to know what white skin feels like. I said, "Okay, then I'm gonna rub theirs. I want to know what their black skin feels like." Listen, they loved on me. They didn't care whether I was red, yellow, black, white. I was just an anomaly in their midst. And they thought, man, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was so excited about what God started doing. But, you know, I had to come with grips with the truth. 
because the enemy had been lying to me for about five straight days and planting fear and planting fear and planting fear. Can I tell you when the, when the enemy comes to plant fear, it's not God. Fear is not of God. It is not of God. I don't care what form it is, it's not of God. Amen? Unless it's fear in Him. Come on, give God praise in this place. God is, God is good. God is amazing. God is so good. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers. He's saying there are things in the air that we're going to have to wrestle against, and we need to believe that that's the truth. How many of you in here believe you can't live without Social Security? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to condemn you. I can tell you one thing. If Social Security quits tomorrow, God's still going to take care of you. Come on, how many of you you understand our confidence is not in the government of the United States. My confidence is in Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, my provider. Amen. He's the one going to take care of me. He's going to provide everything for me. And so if if they come up and they say, you got to do this, if you're going to receive this, and it's against what God said, guess what? I will not receive it. I will not bow down before what the enemy is trying to place over our world system. If it's not of God, I don't care whether President Trump says it or whether Pelosi says it. I do not care. I will not bow before either one of them. Amen. I bow only before the Lord God Himself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Where we have to be. Why? We are resistors to the world system. Can I have five more minutes? Give me five more minutes. I want to I share some things with you. A stronghold is an area of darkness. It's in our mind or our personality that causes ongoing spiritual, emotional, and behavioral problems. You can be genuinely born again, sincere in your faith, but you've got an ongoing struggle with thoughts, emotions, and habits that wage war against your relationship with Christ. Okay? Just because you're having this tug of war does not mean you are not saved, does not mean you're not born again, does not mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a war that's going on. Some of it's built into our personality. Some of these things we learned in our culture. Some of these things we, we, we establish within ourselves. Let me just read this to you. Strongholds are deeply held beliefs that have been established through the lies of the enemy. I'm going to go over more of these in detail. First one is they come from many sources. Bitter root judgments. And let me tell you what a bitter root judgment is. I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like my grandmother. I'll never be like my daddy. I will never. You see, what we've done is we've placed judgments against those people. And we have received judgment against ourselves. And those things begin to take hold and they shape our personalities and they shape our thought patterns. Okay? And the enemy has a field day because it's a stronghold in our life. Religious teachings. Tongues are of the devil. The gifts of the Spirit have ceased to operate. The only Bible you can use is the King James Version. The pastor holds all the authority in the church. All lies 
that through religious teachings have come in. Secular teachings, situational ethics. We judge it whether it's good or bad, by the way, by exactly what's happening. It's the ends justify the means. It's not what does God's word say. It's what do I believe is right. But we've been taught that we have the authority and the power to discount God's word and we can believe the lie over the truth. Gender assimilation. I can't tell you how many teachers have gotten in trouble now because they, they, won't let, they won't let boys go to the girls' bathrooms. They won't let these things happen. I had Kathy Brubaker give me a list of, of uh, gender assignments the other day. You know how many, you know how many genders are recognized by, by uh, Google right now? 32. 32 genders. And the coolest one of all is what they call being gender fluid. If you wake up today and you feel like a girl, you get to be a girl. If you wake up tomorrow and you feel like a boy, you get to be a boy. And they say that's the way you were born. I don't have any problem with that. Just show it to me in the Word. You see, because what's happened is, is I'm, taking, I'm taking somebody else's Word over the authority of God Himself. And I can't do that. I have to listen to what God has said. And then parental beliefs and superstitions. I grew up in the Old South. Now, thank God I grew up with a daddy that wasn't prejudiced, but can I tell you, prejudice was a mainstay back in the 50s and 60s. And black people were thought of as being less than white people. Don't look at me, Mr. Holy. Y'all all know that's true. My daddy's walking down the street. This is 19, probably 57. And there's a black guy that's walking down the street, an older black gentleman, and my daddy says, Hey, Uncle Tom, how you doing? And I look at my daddy, I said, he's our uncle? And daddy said, no, Eddie. He said, that's a sign of respect for older black people. Not anymore. We all, we all know that now. But that's not a sign of respect. But it made white people feel better because they could make black people lesser and they were better than somebody else. And so that lie gets planted deep in the heart and out of that lie, racism gains greater and greater and greater ground. It's terrible, isn't it? Let me just tell you, racism is not a product of the church. It is not a product of Jesus Christ. It is a product of the lies of the enemy. I don't care what your color of your skin is. God came to save souls, not skin. I heard that in Facebook somewhere, and I said, yeah, I believe in that. I believe that. Come on. But prejudice, you want the glory of God? You can't get the glory of God if you've got prejudice in your heart. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work whatsoever. And so we have to lose our prejudices. We have to lose our judgmental attitudes. We have to lose these things and love people into the kingdom and let them know that God loves them.
Man, I just want to keep on talking about this stuff. I've shared this story many times, but I'm going to share it one more time, and I promise I might close at this end of this one. I go with my daddy to a full gospel men's fellowship breakfast. And I get there, and there's a doctor there named Fowler, Dr. Fowler. And he tells these miraculous things. He talks about a guy that's shot in the heart, and they prayed in tongues over him, and he got healed. Then he began to tell me about this, this woman that showed up at his office. Not me, but the whole crowd. He began to talk about this woman that showed up at his office. And she, he told her, because they, they had a, a common friend in Jackson, Mississippi, and he told her, he said, if you'll stay, I'll take you out to dinner. And so she stayed, and Dr. Fowler, being a good Christian, looked at her and said, are you saved? And she bows her head, and she starts to weep. And she said, they tell me I can't be saved. And Dr. Fowler said, I don't know who they are, but my God can save anybody. I said, for real, he can save anybody. And so she pray, he prayed over her, cast out some demons. And when she finished, she didn't want to be a she anymore. She wanted to be the he that, that, he, that he was born. But he'd been taking estrogen for years and years and years, and so the fat in his body had redistributed. He had the breast of a woman. He had the fatty, fatty hips of a woman. He had all that good stuff. He'd had electrolysis, so there was no hair on his face. And so that was a pretty amazing testimony. But then he took it a step further. And he said he went to a camp meeting, this guy did. And when he went to the camp meeting, he said the man was preaching, and he went up to the altar to pray for somebody else. And when he was on the altar, they, something hit him, and it was a tremendous pain. And he stood up, and, and, and he said, all of a sudden he gets hit again, and he's knocked back down to the floor, and there's this pain again. And when he stands up the third time, every bit of the body fat has rearranged itself, and he now looks like a man. Y'all clap, I went bull on that. You had me where you got him saved, but you lost me when you told me all that other stuff. So Daddy and I had just, Daddy had just bought a business, and he and I were working it together. And, and uh, one of our representatives was in Jackson, Mississippi, and so I flew to Jackson, Mississippi to meet this man named Rick Norris. And I met Rick Norris over there, and I began to talk to him. And after I got a little bit comfortable with his Christianity, I told him the story. And I said, do you know that man? The guy said, do you want to meet that man? My thought was, is it real? He said, that's not what I asked you. He said, I asked you, do you want to meet that man? I said, you're telling me it's real. He said, Eddie, that's not what I asked you. I asked you, do you want to meet the man? I said, yeah, I want to meet the man. I thought that was a bunch of hogwash. He reaches out his hand and he said, I'm the man. Wow. 250,000 people in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm riding in the car because God wants to prove to me his love over something and his power over something that I thought he couldn't do. I want you to know I never say that again. And all they did was love this man and all they did was tell this man that he could be saved and all they did was pray and all they did was bow down and all they did was worship and his life was changed forever. Even the hair came back on his face. I know that because I saw it. Stand to your feet. I promised you I'd stop. I will. I hope you begin to understand a little bit about the warfare. I didn't believe God could do that. I, I really didn't. I'm not going to lie to you. And so God, not having to, he proved it to me. God will prove a lot of things to you just because he loves you. But he doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants to move you from life, I mean from death to life.
He wants to move you from unbelief to belief. He wants to move you from being a victim to being a victor. He wants you to see yourself as an overcomer that's, that's got all the worth that the heaven has to offer. That you are blessed, you are not cursed, that you are the redeemed of the Lord. He wants you to know he is not ashamed to be known by your name, nor is he ashamed to declare your name in heaven. I don't care what you've done or what you've been. He died for those reasons. We have to win the battle that goes on in the mind. We have to confess the truth of God's Word. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons with Pastor Eddie Mason, Senior Pastor at Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We welcome you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would also like to bless you with a Father's Prayer from Papa Herman, an elder at Southside Christian Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.